0: messages on the miracles of Jesus found in the gospel of John and as we talked about last week I want to reiterate that we need to understand that Jesus never performed miracles for the sake of putting on a show Jesus never performed miracles for the sake of getting people saved those was not their intentions and it doesn't work that way uh, there, was, you know, there were instances where great, cl- great crowds followed the Lord everywhere He went when He was feeding the 5,000, when He was raising the dead. But when He stopped and He began to call on them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Him, they all left Him. They were there for the miracles, but they left when Jesus got down to what He was really here for. So when Jesus performed a miracle, as John refers to them as signs, they were attesting miracles. They were to attest who Christ was, that he was indeed God in the flesh, because only God has the power over nature. Only God has the power over death. And so the, the we need to keep this in mind as we go through this and and look at the miracles but look beyond the miracles to the message that the miracles bring and that message that the miracles bring points us to the Lord Jesus Christ all right so this morning we're going to look at the first of these which was at a wedding now I find every time I perform a wedding I always point out the fact that the first Miracle Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. And and so here in John chapter 2 read with me we'll read the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out the mother of Jesus said to him they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water jars set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water with, the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the inferior wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this in Cana of Galilee as the beginning of his signs and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed with life in general? We all have dealt with disappointments. We've all found that life can be very unkind to us. But we need to understand that our disappointments may very well be God's appointments. God is still in the miracle working business. The same Jesus that turned water into wine is still the same Christ that we serve and love today. And it may be that God has a miracle in the works for you. If you're facing disappointment in life, if you're facing trials and troubles in life, you see, here at this wedding, the, most, the worst thing that could have ever happened to the host happened. He ran out of refreshments. And that was a very embarrassing thing to happen. Uh, we find here that Jesus and His disciples were invited to this wedding. And as I said, John uses the word sign. They are miracles with a message. And like road signs, they point to a destination. And Jesus here, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, is at a wedding, and he's about to point out who he is. Joy. Joy. That's such a wonderful word. Now, I want to tell you, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to you. If you wake up in the morning and your bank account's cleaned out, you're not going to be very happy. If you go to the doctor and he gives you a bad diagnosis, you're not going to be very happy. But Jesus is here to show us that in the midst of those things, we may not be happy, but there can be unbridled, unspeakable joy in our life. That's what he came to bring. So these are miracles with a message. And notice the setting. It's at a wedding. You know, weddings are a wonderful thing. Today, people may spend thousands of dollars on a wedding. In those days, a wedding didn't just last a few hours. It could last as long as a whole week. And all the guests would come. And they would sit and they would enjoy this time of having uh, this, this, this wedding going on. Some people think it's odd that Jesus would take time uh, out of his public ministry to attend a celebration of a wedding. But this shows us the heart of Jesus. Number one, it shows us, I think that it shows us, one thing is that Jesus is, is putting his stamp of approval upon the institution of marriage. That he would perform his first wedding here at this. But you see, Jesus lived a life of joy. Now, that's interesting because the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with sorrows. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. And could you imagine, as, as Jesus proclaims the message of the gospel, the message of forgiveness to all those who would hear him during his earthly ministry and to see the very people that should have known who he was, the, the religious leaders, shun him, hate him, want to kill him. <clears throat> this had to break his heart. We see Jesus taken and, and, and before a court, a kangaroo court, False witnesses brought in. A crown of thorns placed on his head. His beard pulled out. Slapped in the face. And taken and crucified on a cross. And yet the apostle Paul tells us. In the book of Philippians. That for the joy in the book of Hebrews. That for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Now how could Jesus have joy at a time like that? I'll tell you folks. Jesus loves his people and he wants us to have joy. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, abundant life. Jesus lived a life of joy. Now, here's an interesting thing. John doesn't tell us who these people are at this wedding. And I think that's significant. Because it tells us that these were just everyday, ordinary people. Common people among the land. And Jesus loves the ordinary people like us and he's involved in the everyday issues of our lives. Jesus wants to be with you On a Monday, Monday, just as much as he does on a worshiping Sunday. Jesus is interested in our lives. He's interested in the the most intimate details of your life. And we find here, he's at this wedding. They run out of wine. And his mother says to him, he says, hey son, they've run out of wine. And he says, it's not my time. But yet, he still performs the miracle. Mary gives the best advice you'll ever find in the Bible. Look at verse um, 5. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, just do it. Long before Nike ever came along, Mary said, just do it. This is the greatest advice we will ever find anywhere in the Bible. Jesus present at this wedding uh, turned what, could it, what was a potential disaster into joy. And as I said, what an embarrassment that they ran out of wine. John says there in verse two uh, 3, And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, They have no wine. Now, from from the context of this, the wedding had not gone on very long before this happened. And I can imagine the host, which would have been the, the, the groom's side of the family, they would have been in an absolute panic. They would have been ridiculed. They would have been laughed at. Throughout for for, for for years about this for running out of wine. I mean, it's the same today. Can you imagine? You give a party and you invite all of us here to it, and we're there five minutes, and you come and say, "Oh man, we're out of food already." <laughs> Wouldn't that be embarrassing? That's what that's the situation they find. But in those days, it was even more so because of the, the celebration that was going on. All the guests are running around filled with joy and laughter and then the wine runs out. But Jesus was going to do this miracle and all it took, all it took for Jesus to perform this miracle is for the servants to do what they were told. Obedience. That's all it took for Jesus to do the miracle. If Jesus tells us to do something, we must do it. Our obedience will always benefit. It will always be for our good, for others' joy, and for God's glory. You know something? I want to tell you something, folks. If you want to pray for me as your pastor, and and I hope you do, And there's many things that I could use prayer for. But I want to tell you the one thing that I need you to pray about. I need you to pray, Lord, help Pastor Bobby obey you. Because I'll tell you, when I obey God, you will benefit from that. And all of us, these servants, notice what it says here. Look down here in verse, uh, hang on a second, let me find it. Verse 9. Now when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. You see, here are the servants. They are the lowest of the low at this wedding. They're not even invited to the wedding. They're just there to work. But yet when Jesus performed this miracle, they're the ones that knew what happened. Because they obeyed. They simply obeyed. Obedience is always the central issue in serving God. And filling water pots made no sense to the servants, but they did it anyway. And listen, folks, when God calls us to do something, whether it makes any sense to us or not, never parade God's commands past the judgment bar of your mind. Because many times, can you imagine the children of Israel? God says, go march around the walls of Jericho. Blow the trumpets and the walls will come down. And the people stand and say, you know, that's just impossible. I don't think that'll work. But they didn't do that. You know what they did? They obeyed. You know what happened as a result of their obedience? The walls fell down. So, obedience, never never parade God's commands by the judgment bar of your thinking, of your mind. But don't miss the message in this. The details of this miracle are rich with symbolism. John notes there in verse 6 that the stone water jars were for the Jewish custom of purification. Verses 9 and 10 says now when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from but the servants who had drawn the water knew the head waiter called the bridegroom and said every man serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely then the inferior wine but you have kept the good wine until now now what he's saying is you go to a wedding uh, they they bring out the good wine and when everybody's good and drunk then they give them the, the cheap stuff when everybody's filled with joy, that, that different kind of joy there, then that's when they bring up... But he says, you've done just the opposite. He said, you've kept the good wine until now. This is a picture. In the, in the Bible, uh, wine is a symbol of joy. But the stone water jars, they are very important. Because you see, they were... They held about 30 gallons apiece. And there were six of them. And Jesus said, fill them to the brim. And John says that they were used for the purification of the Jews... The Jews would would come into their worship service and they would have the jars there before they would eat, before they would do anything. And they would put their hands down into the water and up to the elbow. And then they would just let it drip dry before they would do anything. It wasn't about hygiene. It wasn't about sanitation. It was about ritual. But it was a ritual that led nowhere. And so these stone water pots They picture the religion of the Jews. A religion that did nothing. It was a Christless religion. And so Jesus here, when he tells them to fill the water pots, uh, and, and the water pots were used, as I said, for their purification. The idea here is that the water jars represented the traditional religion of the people, which was a Christless religion. It's a religion with no reality. And it will be a wonderful day when people stop enduring religion and start enjoying salvation. Jesus had them fill the water jars all the way up, all the way to the brim. Why to the brim? Because you see those water jars, they they symbolize the, the, the Mosaic Law. The law that the people could not keep. And Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. He said, not one (coughs) jot. He said, every jot, every tittle would be completely uh, fulfilled. In other words, he says, every T will be crossed and every I will be dotted. And he says, I will perform every one of this. And Jesus came. All the righteousness that was required by the law was fulfilled in Jesus. In verse 8, Jesus gave them the command. He said, "Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter." So they took it to him. But listen, folks, they did not draw the water out of the water pots. They drew the water out of the well. See the water pots. Jesus wanted to set. He wanted to make a distinction here. He he, he filled the water jars full. This which represented the ritualistic religion of the Jews. But then he went to the well and had them draw water from the well. And when they served it, it miraculously became the best wine they had ever tasted. The water jars represented the old, the law of Moses. The well represented that which is new, that which Jesus came to bring. In John chapter 1 and verse 17, John says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, Therefore, you shall joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. The water pots, which which represented the religion, the Christless religion of the people. And I want to tell you something, folks, that Christless religion is still alive and well today. But you see, they could have used all that water and eventually it's going to run out and they have to fill it up again. But when it comes from the well, there's no end to it. It's everlasting. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. And after Jesus performed the miracle, they had more than enough wine. Now, have you ever noticed... <clears throat> They run out of wine and Jesus turns water into wine. He didn't make just enough wine for the wedding. They had more than enough. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he had a few fish and a couple loaves of bread and fed them all. And they took up 12 basketfuls. He made more than enough. He's always going to give us more than enough. Jesus is in the transformation business. That's what he came to do. Jesus did not come to make us better people. He did not come to make me a better man or you a better man or woman. He came to make us a whole new creation. If any man be in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. All the old is gone and all the new has come. Jesus took what was common, what was ordinary, what was tasteless. Isn't that how most of our lives feel? Just common, ordinary, you know, day after day. After, you know, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon had it right. He said, It's all vanity. He said it's just the same thing day after day. And, and life becomes a drudgery. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life. And he took that which was common and ordinary and tasteless. And he transformed it into wine. A symbol of joy. And he's still in the transformation business today. Jesus is still performing miracles. Someone has well said, nature forms us, sin deforms us, education informs us, penitentiaries reform us, but only Jesus can transform us. We're not in need of more of the old cheap wine. We are not in need of more of the the Christless religion. The enduring of of saying, well, we have to go through all these rituals. And listen, there's nothing wrong with ritual. As long as we remember the symbolism behind the, 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 the ritual. Just as there's nothing wrong with believing that Jesus performs miracles, as long as we remember Jesus is the one who performed the miracle. And we remember who he is. The one who turned the water into wine in Cana. Is the one who can change radically, dramatically and eternally. Anyone who will by faith come to him. When Jesus said to the servants. Fill the water. Fill the water jars to the brim. We don't see any arguing. And you see. At the wedding, Jesus had absolutely no authority to command those servants to do anything. But yet when he said do it, they obeyed. Now you understand what I mean by that. I mean Jesus has all authority. But what I mean at this wedding setting, the host was the one who had the authority. But yet the servants, when Jesus spoke, they obeyed. And because they obeyed, everyone was blessed. And they were let in on the secret. You know, it's a wonderful thing Jesus says over in, I think it's John chapter 15. <clears throat> he says to his disciples, and when I use the word disciples here, I'm talking about those who belong to him. That would include all of us who were saved. And he says, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. I call you friends. There's no disappointment in Jesus. None. And when Jesus turned the water into wine, that act manifested his glory. I'm sure this was talked about all over town. Listen, it takes a miracle of grace to transform a sinner into a child of God. And listen, folks, miracles of grace are always greater than miracles of glory. When God created the the, the heaven and the earth, when He said, let there be light, He just spoke. That's all He did was speak. When when He created Adam, He just reached down and took a little dirt and molded it into a man. But I want to tell you something, folks. To save us, He had to die. He had to go to a cross. Miracles of grace are always greater than miracles of glory. Jesus turned water into wine with just a word, but to save us, he had to hang on a cross. And every born again child of God, if you are this morning and you are saved, you have already experienced the greatest miracle in history, in the the universe, the new birth. Of becoming a new creature in Christ. Jesus didn't come to make you a better person. He came to make you a new person. Jesus didn't come to put new clothes on an old person. He came to clothe us in his righteousness and make us new creations. Jesus can meet whatever need you have you know some would look at this and say okay so they ran out of wine just go buy some more and jesus could have said he said well you know go get some more but he didn't he said you have a need i can meet that need have you ever had a need i want to tell you something When I say that there is no disappointment in Jesus, it means that when He says, all who come to me I will in no way cast out. Not one person has ever or ever will come to Christ for salvation and hear Him say, no. Not one. All who come to Him will find satisfaction in Him will find eternal joy in Him. Do what He says. Take any needed step of obedience that God is calling you to this morning. God always blesses obedience. Because it shows. Obedience shows we trust God. Obedience shows we understand who God is, that He's sovereign God, we are His slaves. Seek to gladden someone else. These are the steps that we need to take if we would experience the joy of serving Christ. And I think that's something that's missing in our churches today. Something missing in our lives today is joy. Joy. Let me ask you a question. How many of you got up this morning, somebody calls you and says, Hey, you want to go fishing today? You want to go play golf today? You want to go to the opera with me today? And you say, well, I can't go today. I got to go to church. Wrong answer. How many of you would look at them and say, I can't. I get to go to church today. I want to be in church today. I am excited about being with God's people that when I see the joy that comes from being with God's people and worshiping our God seek to gladden someone else look outside yourself uh, see your dis uh, and, and see their disappointments and find where someone else needs help that's what Jesus did you realize that through his entire Life, his entire earthly ministry, everything Jesus did was not for himself, it was for us. He endured the shame for us, he endured the pain of crucifixion and rejection for us. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus lived a life of joy, one of the reasons I believe, the writer says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. I was that joy set before Him. You were that joy set before Him. Jesus hung on that cross and He knew. I get to spend eternity with Bobby because I'm doing this. Can you imagine Jesus saying something like that? I get to spend eternity with him because he sought my good and your good and endured whatever it took. Seek God's glory. Ask God to use you in a way that brings him honor and glory. And I want to tell you something, folks. Now, listen Jesus made salvation. A very hard thing. Did you know that? If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You think that's easy. You've never done it or attempted it. But Jesus said, if I don't do that, I can't be his disciple. But when I live a life that I seek to bring glory to God in everything I do, Do you know that the crucifixion of Jesus brought glory to God? Do you know that every child of God that has been martyred for their faith, whose blood has been spilled throughout church history, did it to the glory of God? But it's it's not just that. Listen, you ought to wash your clothes at home to the glory of God. You ought to make your bed to the glory of God. You ought to mow your yard to the glory of God. You ought to come in here and sing to the glory of God. You ought to sit and listen to the sermon to the glory of God. Everything must be to the glory of God. On your job, in your home, in your church, everything. These servants brought glory to God. You know why? They only did one thing they obeyed. That's all they had to do was obey replace your disappointment with praise you ever had a bad day we all have we 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 snap at people say things we wish we hadn't said do things we wish you hadn't done when we as believers come to understand That whatever happens to us in this life is nothing but temporary. And there is an eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Then the things of this world get to where they don't bother us quite so much. And we begin to say, Lord, thank You. Thank You, Father. I'm reminded of of, of Peter and John They're they're there in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. They're there and they're preaching Jesus. And they're arrested and they're thrown into prison. And they tell him, they say, stop preaching about this man Jesus. And they let him go. But before they let him go, they beat him. Now listen folks, they didn't take a belt and just give him a few swats. Usually a beating was take, took place on their backs with a long rod and it was not fun and it was very painful. but you know what Peter and John did? It says they went away rejoicing they were found worthy to suffer for his name. When we learn to replace our disappointment with praise and say uh, and, and we begin to say thank you that I have Jesus and thank you that because I have him, I have an abundant supply of joy. And peace. Jesus was at the wedding, they ran out of wine, and he gave them more than they needed. And they come to the to, to the host and say, Hey, man, you are to be congratulated everybody always gives the good wine first and then the cheap stuff said you've done just the opposite and not only have you done the opposite this is the best wine i ever tasted in my life and there seems to just be more and more and more and more of it there's no end to it 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 doesn't run out this is what following christ is like this is what it means That Jesus has called us to have a life of joy. What greater thing can happen to you in your life? Listen. You tell me a greater thing that could happen to you in your life. Than for you to be dead in trespasses and sins. And he raised you to new life. You tell me a greater thing that could happen to you in your life. Than to one minute be an enemy of God. And the next hear him say. You're my child. You've been adopted. You tell me a greater thing that could happen to you in your life than for God to forgive every sin you have ever committed or ever will commit and give you eternal life in Christ. Tell me a greater thing than that could happen. Nobody? You can't. There is nothing. And yet we have so little joy in our life. Why? Why? You see, the, for this man here, he thought the worst thing that could happen was he ran out of wine. I want to tell you the worst thing that could have happened was for Jesus not to be there. And His presence, His presence in our, in our, in our worship services, His presence in our homes, His presence with us, wherever we are, I will never leave you, never forsake you. And yet we allow the most mundane things in life to just get us down and say, oh, God, woe is me. Or rather we say, oh, God, why me? You know, I I do think that God on occasion when I say why me, he probably looks and says, why not you? Do you have joy in this mundane, ordinary, common, tasteless life? Because that's all Christless religion will bring you. Nothing but emptiness. But Jesus says out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Eternal joy You know, I kind of got off something I was saying earlier. The difference between joy and happiness. See, you can be happy one minute and unhappy the next. But joy is eternal. Because you see, happiness comes from what happens to you. But joy, true joy, only comes from Jesus. That's the only place it comes from. And so we can look at our life and say, Lord... How do I begin to thank you? And I'll tell you something, folks. When we learn to praise God. You know, we've been talking a lot lately about how we need to be more of a praying church. And I want to tell you something, folks. That's true. But we also need to become more of a praising church. Praising God. In every situation. Trusting in the providence of God. And knowing that not one, as John MacArthur puts it, not one atom in this universe is outside the control of Almighty God. Not one situation is outside the control of Almighty God. Now we may not like the situations most of the time. We may not understand a lot of the times. But Jesus says, Just obey me and look what I can do with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, oh God, that you are still in the miracle working business. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to give us life and give give us eternal life and give us abundant life. Father, help us to whatever right now, Lord, that you may be calling us to obey you. Help us, Lord, to obey so that we may gladden others and so that we may glorify you. Lord, help us to look beyond ourselves to see that there are many in our midst, Father, that need to know the joy of salvation that only comes through faith in Christ. Father, that we would put away our idols, put away our sins, Deny ourselves, take up our cross with joy and follow Jesus. That you may be glorified in all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.